You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunts, Brian Christofferson, here on a Tuesday morning. Nebraska coming off a loss to Minnesota. Nebraska basketball coming off a win against Maine. Nebraska still doesn't have a full-time head coach, which isn't that unusual since it's still November. Lots to talk about, and that's why we are gathered here today. However, do we have any really important banter we want to get in here at this point in time? I mean, anything you you want to get off your chest, anything you want to say, anything you want to let the people know? I've got I've got a question, but I'm going to save it for the basketball portion of the, okay. the, the We have pod. a basketball question that's not being used for banter. BC, do you have anything? <clears throat> I don't know. Brunson and I need to uh, reenact something in the in the Michigan tunnel or have a little fun, I think it with that, but, uh, um, that's all I got. I, that I, I look forward to, to walking up and down the Michigan tunnel and being like, this is where all the, all the boxing matches happen. The, they haven't even gotten to the worst part of that tunnel, by the way. And it's when they bring the entire Michigan band up the tunnel, <laughs> oh, yeah. trying to do interviews. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, th- there's a couple places in the conference where they do that, where you're like, Everybody's kind of straining and leaning in to hear the the coach, the, the or the soft talking player or something like that, and you just got nothing. And then there's like a line of tubas just kind of marching through, playing you know whatever the, the Michigan fight song. So it was it was pretty rough when uh, John Papuchis was trying to explain uh, that. Remember they had just a special teams meltdown the one year they lost forty five seventeen. Um, and, and Papuchas is trying to get, go into like what went wrong. And the, the Michigan band is like on their third verse of the fight song at that point. I remember Rick Kaczynski stopped talking at, when Nebraska won up there that year uh, where Amir dove in for the touchdown. And he basically like let the entire band go through. So he was just kind of awkwardly standing there for like four minutes. Yeah. But he liked it. He's like, yeah, I love this, that. This is college football, man. <laughs> <Basically>. <laughs> That was a that was a game. Brunson and I we weren't coworkers yet, but I believe you ran around the stadium with me, right? Well, you uh, can't. They don't let you on the field at Michigan, so we ran we ran around the entire big house <laughs> to try to get to the tunnel. Yeah, yeah, to the post game. When All right. That, anyway, that's that, enough of that. That leads to a natural question because <laughs> you guys have been to BC. You've been to every stadium now, right? In the conference, I think so. <laughs> I'll does, think about it while you ask. Does uh, 
is is like Michigan does a big house rank pretty highly for you? Yeah, it's cool. I I think the horseshoe. I knew it didn't for Brunt, so I wanted to start there. Uh, I like I like the I think the horseshoe is the best stadium in the Big Ten, uh, Ohio State. I just and when you remember the year Nebraska went there, and what would it have been two thousand twelve, and they lost sixty three to thirty eight at night, and Nebraska actually led early on, and then Martinez threw a pick or something. I remember outside of the stadium at like four thirty. Uh, looking at that place and the lights were coming on and and you could just feel the buzz in the air and I was said that uh, it was Sipple who was next to me I was like there ain't no way these boys are coming out of here with the wind at night like you could just tell like this is a place that's hard to play when people are revved up so I, I would say the horseshoe is my favorite I think Michigan's a tamer crowd and I don't, I don't mean that in disrespect but I don't think it's the most hostile environment because it's all spread out so much. Like it's not even that high off the ground, honestly, uh, when you're next to it, it's not like the most intimidating place, uh, but it is cool. Like when there's a gray sky and it's, uh, and you're there and you're like, that's a big house. Brunch, your take on, uh, on the big house. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a fine stadium. It, it's a place you should go. If you're a college football fan, it, uh, I guess I'm always just a little taken aback by how quiet it is for that many people. And, and BC hit on it with the way the stadium's laid out. It's pretty wide, a little deep. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's, you got the banner and everybody's running out. I, I would say it's, I would say it's in the top quarter of stadiums in the big 10 is where I would put it. Um, is it better know. than Memorial stadium? Mm. When back when Nebraska played in big games with big atmospheres, I would say that Memorial Stadium. Well, it's hard though because I don't know that Nebraska's really ever played in like a huge game there. Like the one in what was it, 14, 13? In thirteen, like it was a it was a good atmosphere. But I, I I guess I was just a little bit surprised at how quiet it was. Was all uh, about that twenty twelve Ohio State game. I'm fairly certain they just ran the same play with Carlos Hyde for about three quarters. And mm-hmm. Bo Pelini and Nebraska's defense never quite figured that one out. They do- Nebraska dominated like the, the first, first quarter. quarter. I mean, yeah. dominated. And they were shutting them down. And then Braxton Miller had that run where he juked somebody out of his jock. And uh, it was over from there. There's two two games in the last decade that stand out to me for like how quickly they flipped. It was that one is one, and the other one is the Wisconsin game uh, when Nebraska was leading by ten, <laughs> and then the bottom fell out. Yeah, we've. Well, do you want to more- talk about another game that flipped, <laughs> but much 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 slower in its flip? And you know, similar to those, I think. Sitting there in the press box on Saturday, it it felt like it was flipping even in the second quarter. I mean, when you're when you're sitting there and the three of us are sitting up there and we're sort of murmuring to each other, you know, it's going to be really important for Nebraska to just get out of here up ten nothing. It sort of tells you the confidence that you have in that team uh, that they have the ability to just put someone away. Which is what, we didn't what did have I? Any. It, there was there was like twelve minutes left in the second quarter, and I leaned over and said, "They just got to get this into the locker room." Like that that was that was where I was at that point. I think the audible noise that I made when Chubba Purdy kept sort of like 
back shuffling to the sideline before spiking that ball in front of Terrell Smith or whoever it was for Minnesota on their last play of the first half. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, they they had the whole bizarre whatever the hell it was that they were doing on the previous two plays. Then they take the timeout and then they call the pass play. And I thought he was for sure throwing that interception right there. So that, you know, that's a good way to just dive into this Nebraska Minnesota game that featured a 10 point lead from the Huskers, two good drives to start. And then nothing again until the very end of the game. Where do we want to go with this, Brian? Where do we want to start? I mean, I guess you can start with the quarterbacks. I thought they should have played uh, Smothers earlier. Mickey said it after the game. Um, you know, I th- I, f- I felt like the defense had a good grip through the entire first half. So I, I still thought they might win the game at halftime because of the defense. Um, but about midway through the second quarter, after Nebraska had done a few series off script, it was clear to me that Purdy's still not seeing it as Mickey Joseph would put it. And um, I don't know that Logan Smothers is like, I'm not acting like it, they just go up and down the field with Logan Smothers. I don't know how that would have gone. I just think you kind of owed it to the squad to, to make that move. And especially after he came in midway through the third quarter and they ran the ball twice and I thought it was effective enough. They got themselves into a third and three and he puts a ball on a short pass to Oliver Martin and he dropped it. Smothers didn't do anything wrong on that series. It was a good series. They were going to move the sticks. Your guy should make a simple catch. And then they went to Purdy for two more series, and that was a critical portion of that game. So um, I think it's not second-guessing. You guys can back me up, and I could back you guys up on this. We were first-guessing, like, how long Purdy should be out there up in the press box. Well, we were were talking about this last week during the podcast about whether – like, who do you, you know, who do you want to play in this Minnesota game? And I, I guess the baffling thing to me is you watch Chubba Purdy struggle throughout the whole second half against Illinois. And you watched him struggle after the third possession against Minnesota. And you saw all the same problems. Like, it doesn't matter that he was hurt or that he had more practice. He simply isn't comfortable. Like, he doesn't have drops. He just sort of, like, has a magnet that's pulling him to the sideline uh, on on those passing plays. Like, it just – and then Nebraska didn't help themselves. I mean, he had a couple drops. And I don't know how catchable the Travis Vokalek one was, but it felt like he had an opportunity there for at least a field-flipping play. But I, I just don't know – when you immediately start seeing your offense having to go three and out, like, two times in a row – how does your mind not immediately go back to that Illinois game and think, here we go again? My, my thing is, and I think, I think Mickey was asked this after the game on Saturday, but you know, the, the thing that we heard is for the last two games, they went with Chubba because they felt like they were going to need to throw the ball. And I guess I'm at the point now where I I'm not, and we're not able to see practice during the week, but I don't, I don't see there being a throw or something on the field that Chubba Purdy is doing right now that Logan Smothers couldn't do. And I think that's where, you know, I, I, Mickey said after the game that he was on the same page with Mark Whipple about what they wanted to do at quarterback. I, I don't know. 
I don't know if he's saying that to kind of save face a little bit and, and, you know, take one on the chin for the offensive coordinator, but I I just don't, I, I guess I don't know having seen it for six quarters, what, what, uh, what Chubba Purdy brings to the table that Logan Smothers can't. And I don't know if that's Nebraska's unwillingness or inability to game plan something that more fits what Smothers does. Cause they're, I think they're two different quarterbacks and I think they're two different styles of quarterbacks. However, I just think that what Logan Smothers can do with his feet as kind of the, uh, you know, making something out of nothing and also with the, with, you know, what limited quarterback design run they can do. I think he just brings so much more to that. Oh, and by the way, he can, you know, put the ball where it needs to be down. I mean, he's not going to bomb it 50 yards downfield with accuracy like Casey Thompson does, but he had some pretty good throws in those last two possessions. And I I guess that's just kind of where I'm at with it now is, you know, what, what is, what is out there waving my arms about what's out there that that's not, you know, that that is causing these decisions to be made that are being made because it's what we're seeing on Saturday is not following the explanation we're being given. So now moving forward, we're, you know, it's, it's Tuesday morning. This is before the, the Mickey Joseph uh, press conference. Is the expectation then that Logan Smothers is going to get the ball against Michigan? Because I don't, I mean, <clears throat> I, they put themselves in a really bad spot here for a variety of reasons. I mean, one, you have to win this game if you're going to try to go to a bowl game. So you have to give yourself the best opportunity to win. But two, it also kind of looks bad if like, okay, now Logan Smothers gets to start. Oh, by the way, this is the best team on our schedule. In an environment that's going to be difficult against a defense that has the ability to really punish a guy. uh, If a quarterback's out there running, like it's just, I don't know. The optics of any decision you make here are going to look real bad. Yeah, I I think it's going to be really tricky for uh, any of the quarterbacks, but I, I think you got to make that move at this point because it, it just looks like uh, one, I, I, it's sort of like let's use a major league baseball analogy. Like if you bring a guy up, you know, too soon and he's just not ready for it. And I, I right now, off the data we've seen from Purdy, I just sort of feel that way. And I don't like to say that, but um, with Smothers, you'd have to say when he's been put in games, he's kind of been a gamer. And yep. and Mickey did have a line where he said he's got to show it to us a little more in practice. He did slip a line in there, and I believe that. Like, I don't think guys just, you know, I there's probably something that's missing. And I will say this, a week ago, Alante Brown was asked about the quarterbacks and Alante is a pretty straightforward guy, as you know, and he, he said Purdy's got a stronger arm and he kind of did talk about there being a little difference there uh, very subtly, but he did. And so there is something those guys see, even players see it a little bit. Um, But let's go back to Smothers. He comes into the Michigan state game last year when Adrian has a jaw thing, has a series where he goes 40 yards. And if he doesn't have a false start penalty on his O line, you know, he's moving the ball in his first big drive. Um, Iowa game for three quarters did exactly what he was asked to do pretty well to put them in position to win the game. This year, you'd have to say when he's been out there, he's done the same thing. So, I I mean, just off of data, uh, Logan 
doesn't seem like he's quaking in his cleats when he's out there at least. And you got to, that's the guy I think you got to turn to in an environment like this. And uh, it's probably going to be pretty difficult though. And it's going to look kind of ugly. And then everybody's going to say, well, it didn't matter, you know, who played quarterback, but it maybe did against Minnesota. It very much might've mattered. Have you used the line quaking in his cleats before? Or did you just come up with that right now? I think I've said it before. So it wasn't like, yeah. It's a good line. Quit. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll I'll store it in the I'll store yeah, it. I'd never heard it before. I thought it was pretty good. Even I'll put Brooks it in my kind of like did a little perk up on it. I'll put it in my little pill box and keep it. Um, <laughs> there's stuff though that then I end up using like ten times, and then I'm like, all right, I've hit my quota on this. <laughs> I can't I can't write that line anymore. It happens. We all have clutches <laughs> or crutches, whatever they are. Uh, Brunts, what? What can Nebraska get out of this Michigan game? Like, I mean, obviously, <laughs> like, I, I don't know how else to preview this game. It sucks. Yeah. Like I, you know, I don't want to belabor a point that everybody knows, but it's November 8th and the season feels like it's gone to shit. Like, this sucks. Hey, hey They're going to hey, go hey. to yeah, – I mean, apologies if your kids are listening. But – they probably watched the same thing you did. Four-letter <laughs> words. Um, this, like, what are you supposed to do with this? Like, this is Ohio State coming to Lincoln all over again. It's like, these games. Nebraska keeps putting themselves in these situations. Point spread, and, point spread wise, it's Penn State twenty seventeen. It was the yeah, same I mean, spread. <laughs> so we can sit here and talk about scrolling. Well, that was a twelve point game. That was a 12-point game that was tight late. <laughs> For the 50th damn time since 2017, we could talk about scrolls. I like, I don't know. I mean, you guys are gonna go cover this game. Nebraska's gonna be lucky if they stay within two touchdowns. And it's November 8th. They don't have a head coach, they don't have a quarterback. Like, there's just nothing about this that's remotely appealing. So on my sheet here, I have what can Nebraska get out of this game against Michigan? And it's not like supposed to be a joke, and I've sort of turned it into that, but that's where we are. Like, this is just awful. I I mean, everyone knows it. Sometimes I just feel like I need to say it out loud. This sucks. Brian Brian and I both got the email yesterday from Southwest Airlines. And the subject was, what was it? Your trip to Detroit is coming up soon or something? Exclamation point. Exclamation point. (laughs) The exclamation point was doing a lot of work there. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, this is kind of, uh, this is, this is a tough game. I'll put it that way. And I, I, in the back of my mind the other day, when that point spread came out, was thinking like, is this a, Nebraska USC Callahan era game plan where you just try to get in there and get out as quickly as you possibly can. Like, I mean, is that yes kind of where we are? Um, you know, with the quarterback questions, certainly that doesn't help. Um, it, and it's interesting, you know, the the I've seen some conversation out there, and Brian and I were talking about this off uh, off air, but you know, when Nebraska went up there in 2018, um, you know, everybody said, oh, you know, Michigan didn't, didn't call off the dogs. I mean, they, they kind of did like they, yes, they could they have did. named their, their total that, that game. And, you know, I, I, 
I go back to Scott Frost saying that that was rock bottom. I mean, we're, it feels like we're still there um, heading back up to Michigan again. So I don't know. I mean, you, you play hard, maybe the defense, you know, can, can bow up and, and give you a little bit of a chance against Michigan's running game. But I, I just don't like, I don't like Nebraska's offense's chances against this Michigan defense. I'll put it that way. So to answer your question, I don't know. The score of that game, by the way, what, four years ago, was 39 to nothing at halftime. So, yeah, he did call off the dogs. It was 56-10. That could have been way worse. Um, I, I, Harbaugh around here has this rap with some people that he runs it up. I'll defend him. I mean, they run the ball. They run the ball with some authority, and that puts you in a bad spot if you can't stop it and you're just out, man. Because it's like the old Nebraska days. It's like, well, what do you want me to do? We're going to hand it off to our running back, and he's going to go for 12 yards. That's your fault. So that's – I mean, if that's running up the score, so be it. But I – that that's why this game is is scary because uh, even if they try it – even if it gets out of hand and they're just trying to run it, like can Nebraska hang in there at the – you know, without it getting ugly? And I think – I do think it's a game where – and I don't know that they have it in them – from what we've seen with Whipple, but you got to melt that play clock down. You got to try to get yourself in the third and fours, third and three type plays. And you got to have little plays where you feel like good about those situations and you get five yards and you get another two minutes off the clock. There's nothing wrong with that as a strategy. And I would actually uh, defend the old Bill Callahan strategy in the USC game. He actually had Nebraska within 21-10 early in the fourth quarter against a way better team. So I don't know that it was like the stupidest thing ever that we always act like it was. So I do think you got to have sort of that mindset going into this game. Has anyone looked better in retrospect than Bill Callahan, given Nebraska's like 15 years since his exit? He's... You don't hear people badmouth them quite as much. They might still badmouth the no. Rock over there, but um, is the Rock still over there, Bruns? It's still there. <laughs> <laughs> Bruns actually put a tracker on it a couple years ago. He just wanted to know where it was. At all you time. gotta you you gotta look a little bit harder than you used to to find it. But I I'll go I'll go over there this week and see if it's still there. It used to be they moved it again um, oh. with the construction, so maybe maybe it finally met its maker. But uh, I think it's still over there. Let's check. All right. Let's move on <laughs> from the rock. All right. Let's uh, <laughs> let's move on from Nebraska, Michigan, because I don't have anything I can add after my diatribe. Um, let's just move on, shall we? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coaches, Nebraska needs to hire one. We had a we had a day on Thursday last week where we were all busy. We're all making phone calls. We're all trying to figure out what's going on. So it, it feels like, you know, the, the calendar hit November and there's finally a little bit more activity, a little bit more interest. Football Scoop put out there uh, that same day in what I thought was kind of an interesting article for a variety of reasons. Name checked a lot of the names that we've discussed. And so what I want to do is I want to throw some names at each of you. And I just want your honest assessment of that coach as you see them. And if you think it could work for Nebraska. And then, uh, you know, I didn't give you any heads up as to who you're going to get. So feel free to go as long or as short on it as you want. Um, is that okay? Is this is this fair? Did I yeah. did I blindside you too much? No, I'm good. I've thought about all, right. all of them. Yeah. All right. Well, then we're gonna start. We're gonna with that sort of bravado. <laughs> I guess we have to start with BC. And the name on everyone's lips Thursday afternoon was Matt Rule. Matt Rule obviously was at Temple for a couple years, and Baylor then ended up in the NFL with the Carolina Panthers and was fired earlier this year. Every indication is he's going to get back into coaching. Uh, there seems to be a belief, and I, I made some phone calls. I'll just put this out there on, on Thursday. There seems to be a belief he'll be a head coach as early as next year. Um, and so there's legitimate interest from Matt Rule in terms of coaching again. And from the, the conversations I had, Nebraska seems like the kind of place that he would have interest in. What do you think of Matt Rule, Brian Christopherson? Uh, he's one of my favorite potential hires. Um, I like that he's built at different levels. I know there are criticisms that you could could be made about his building jobs, or or I should say people who would take away from them a little bit. Like, for instance, what he did at Baylor, to me, is very impressive. What was it by year two where they were up in double digits in wins? There are some people who would say, well, and I get it, Baylor's got a ton of resources. They had the whole Art Bryles fiasco. But you knew that a co- coaches around the country might say that was a job that was going to wake up quickly again. It just took, uh, you know, a little elbow grease. Nonetheless, he did it and he, he did it well. I'm not worried that he's jumped around a little bit. I, some people get caught up in that. Like he was at Temple maybe for a shorter time, but he left Temple to take a better job like anybody else would in any other profession. So why do we always get all up in arms about that? And then he left Baylor for his crack at the NFL, which guys do. And I think what happened was I don't really care what happened in the NFL that much. I don't. I think there's certain guys who aren't made for that league necessarily, or their mind doesn't just, the way they operate doesn't quite fit with those type of grown men, guys who are getting, you know, who are professionals. But um, I think he's meant to be a college coach. I think he's going to be a very good college coach somewhere. I think he's an innovative recruiter who has clever ideas. We have articles on 24-7 sports that have, that do, dive deep into sort of his philosophy on recruiting, and I think it's impressive. Would he want to try to recruit to Nebraska as opposed to a, a more fertile recruit, recruiting ground area? That's the question. But as you said, Schaefer, and I know Bruns knows this too from phone calls, um, I don't think his name is just floating in the air for no reason. I don't. I think I think there's at least he's at least somebody you got to keep in mind. All right. 
moving on here. Brunts, I would like you to discuss Gary Patterson, whose name also was in the Football Scoop article on Thursday afternoon. Yeah, um, it's an interesting name. I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm of two minds about Gary Patterson. I mean, I obviously he had a pretty good run of success at TCU. Uh, things didn't necessarily end there as well as he probably would have liked. Um, TCU obviously is kind of getting it done this year uh, with a lot of players that he had recruited. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's his candidacy, I think, kind of depends on how you view this job. I mean, if you're looking for somebody that's going to be at Nebraska for 15 years, I mean, it's not him. But, you know, I, I think he has at least a little bit of a pedigree that, and a name that would, would uh, get some attention. And, uh, you know, I, I, I do know from, you know, earlier uh, in the summer that, that people were kind of saying that he was wanting to get back into uh, the, the head coaching ranks and kind of take another stab at a power five job. And, and, you know, he's a grinder. I, I think he's, you know, built something at TCU that would certainly get Trev's attention. Um I, is would he be at the front of my list? Probably not, but I, I think that you know at least the su- success that he had at TCU um, is a pretty good track record. And if you did kind of the blind resume thing, you know I, I think he would stack up pretty favorably to a lot of people that that you would put him up against. But um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think in my mind, I'd probably look elsewhere first, but I, I think he would be, he's, he's an interesting name. That's kind of been in the back of my head since uh, the, the summer as, as somebody that, you know, maybe not everybody's thinking about and certainly because he's not a, a sitting power five head coach right now, but he does have a track record of success. I got a quick question and I'll ask it to Schaefer. Um, it's, it's kind of an uncomfortable question because I think people age, I mean, People don't like to go there, but it, it everybody always brings up like, oh, you know, he's, he's too old or this or that. Came up a little bit with Riley. Patterson's 62. I think like Lance Leifold's 58. You know, Mickey Joseph's 54. Does that matter to you? Do you think that should matter in this decision um, if a guy is over 60 or something like that? And we're talking not that he couldn't get it done for a few years, but maybe it's a limited amount of time he wants to coach. And then again, he could coach for a dozen years like some of the guys who are now in their 70s. You know, it doesn't matter to me. And and the reason it doesn't, and this is just kind of my thought process on it, is that whoever it is, whether they're a young guy, an old guy, whoever, there's a good chance you're looking at a five-year window in which they have to kind of pull this thing mm-hmm. out of the muck where it is right now, build a foundation, and have it heading in the right direction. And so if that's, you know, like for using Gary Patterson as an example, if that's who Nebraska ends up with and he's got a second wind and he's able to kind of reset where Nebraska finds itself. And in five years, you have to hire another coach and maybe you have somebody on the staff ready to take the reins and you can keep everything rolling at that point. Or you've made Nebraska more desirable because in that run, he's proven the ability to win. And that Nebraska isn't stuck in this pattern of having three to five wins for eternity. So I I sort of always view every coach, regardless of age, in a five-year window of they have sort of three to five years to prove that not only are they the right person for this job, but they can sort of reset the Nebraska foundation. If they do that, anything after is kind of, you know, can they build on it or 
are they getting out of the way for the next person? I mean, if, if you have a 62 year old coach that comes in and he gives you five great years and after, you know, year two, you're bowling year three, you're, you're knocking off ranked teams year four, you're in ranked throughout the season. I mean, who the, you can't be upset with that because of sort of where Nebraska's at. I mean, ideally would you hire the right 46 year old that can coach here for 20 years and set Nebraska up perfectly. Great. That's just not what college football is anymore. I mean, there's just, yeah. I, I don't even know. I mean, you look across the landscape, who's, has there, was there a coach hired in like 2006 that's still rolling along right now? I mean, Brunts is making a face. I can think of one. He was hired, he was hired earlier than that. Uh, Saban? Nope. Closer. I mean, uh, like not Ferentz. But, yeah, no, I mean, I, I understand he's been there forever. That also has its own sort of cantankerous end <laughs> to it as well. But this idea that you're going to go hire somebody who's in right. his mid-40s right. that'll be sort of the face of your program for multiple decades feels fanciful to me. So I don't know that I care. Yeah, You know, you look at what North Carolina is getting under Matt Brown right now. They're in a better spot than they were previous yeah. uh, under Brunch's favorite hat-wearing coach, Larry Fedora. So, I, I mean, you got to do the, the right thing for you, but I take far more of a short-term look at it than I do long-term. So age isn't a huge deal for me. The bigger thing is, does that person relate to somebody who's 20 years old? Can they relate to a 17-year-old when they're sitting in a living room? You know, can Gary Patterson do that? That's a real question I have based on mm -hmm. conversations I had. And I put that on the message board a couple of times, so I don't need to rehash it. But that would be more interesting to me than the actual straight age of somebody. Right. That's a good answer. Thank you. I appreciate that. Maybe we'll cut it out. We'll make a social media clip of it. Yeah. It can be, we, can, we can do something like that and prove that, you know, we can learn new tricks too. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, want, I have a couple more coaches I want to get to. Brunts, we'll, we'll stick with you. Chris right. Kleiman, his name comes up. Kansas State has done really well. We talked a lot about Lance Leipold. I mean, and Lance Leipold in Kansas, they're going to a bowl. I'm sure people have seen the stat. Nebraska's the only Power 5 team since 2017 to not go to a bowl game, yada, yada, yada. We, we've talked a lot about Lance Leipold. We haven't talked as much about Chris Kleiman. Would that be someone that would interest you? And would that be a realistic hire for Trev Alberts? It would interest me. I don't know how realistic it is. I mean, I, I feel like he's a name that, was on was kind of in that initial group of the Leipold Campbell climbing that that uh foursome and I, you just don't hear it as much and and I kind of wonder too the more that K State you know kind of keeps grinding away if if he would be willing to leave I mean I I feel like you know he, he made the move to K State you kind of got that thing humming a little bit he's got an AD that he feels good about i know that there are connections there with Trev Alberts certainly uh with them both being from that part of Iowa but i i don't i i think it would be a good hire i think he's a great coach i think that the style of football that he plays um would would translate very well to the the Big 10 i i just don't know that i would put him towards the, the front of the line of guys that would really be looking to leave, even if you are, are talking about, you know, doubling salary or, or whatever. I just don't, uh, the longer this thing's gone along, the, the, the less I feel more confident that, you know, that he or Matt Campbell are, are, you know, 
options right now or good options right now or actionable options right now for Nebraska? If you see a name that's come up, you know, and, and it, it comes up from different parts of the college football world. It comes up from people yearning for Nebraska to return to what it looked like in 1995. And I don't mean necessarily the wins, but the aesthetics of how that offense was ran. And that's Jeff Monken. His name pops up um, from the football scoop report. It's popped up elsewhere. Um, does Jeff Monken appeal to you at any level? Um, and can, can he take what he's done at army, which is impressive, but has its own sort of connotations to it. Can he take that and can he have success at a power five job? Or did Paul Johnson kind of ruin that with service academy to uh, service academy to a power five level? I think it would get a lukewarm reaction um, from the fan base, but I, I do think it doesn't mean it would fail. Um, and tre- you got to go back to what Trev said on the opening press conference and I bet he had a few guys in mind and Monken might've been one of them that very day. Cause I think that he, he had thought about like, I, there seems to be a background there where he, he knows Monken's work well and respects it. And I think a lot of people in the coaching community do too. So uh, you know, remember he said, we don't have to win the press conference with this hire and we're not going to get all caught up in that. Well, Jeff Monken would be like exhibit a of like, here's your next football coach. And people are like, okay, you know that, I mean, that's, that's how that would go. Um, I got his army. I mean, I do remember he's been an army since 2014. And I think nowadays, you know, 50 or 60 years ago, guys used to make that jump all the time from like uh, service academies to bigger programs. But now it's, you don't see it. it we, we just don't know how it worked. Like we haven't seen like examples, like can that actually happen? You know, where a guy goes from that, that sort of level of football and sort of a different environment to like what it would be like at Nebraska in a power five program. But when he took over army army, I will say for Monken, I mean, they stunk. People might remember like in 2014, Navy was like the big dog who kind of owned them whenever that game would pop up. And uh, he started four and eight, two and 10, but then he went eight and five by year three, 10 and three, 11 and two. He did have a five and eight, but back to nine and three, nine and four. So he did a really good job building them up. He's gone toe to toe in some games. Like I remember they took Oklahoma to the wire and just owned the line of scrimmage and had the ball for like 44 minutes or something. It was ridiculous. A couple of years ago, almost beat Lincoln Riley. Um, so I don't think it's stupid. Like I don't, but I, I just, you know, and I know that if, if he's announced, there's going to be a lot of people kind of, okay, this is not going to work, but the, the good thing is they play the games and we find out. <laughs> that is true. I don't know if it's a good thing around here. Or the bad the thing is that they play the games <laughs> and we find out. <laughs> that, that might be a more accurate summation. Is there any coach that I didn't bring up there that you guys want to talk about? uh here right now mickey <laughs> you want to talk about mickey does okay so i i've gotten this question a lot from people does the last two weeks and kind of how the quarterback play has been handled has that soured you at all with mickey joseph or do you approach it with the idea not necessarily his players not his coaching staff hard just to, to fault him too much for these things it's a tough spot that he's been in the last couple of weeks because I think 
I think when you look or when you really listen to what he's saying and what you listen when you really listen to what Mark Whipple is saying, I don't know how much the two of them are actually on the same page about things. I think if Mickey had was just being completely honest, I don't think that this is the offense that he would be running as a head coach. And I think the problem is is that there's not really on this staff right now, an option that he could go to and say, okay, you're the guy that's handling the offense. You're calling plays. Mickey doesn't have the background of calling plays. And I think that that's really kind of put him in a tough spot because it, in some ways it looks like, you know, a failure of leadership, but I think it's also kind of a, a, a reflection of the options that he's been given right now. I think some of the in-game stuff has been a little bit shaky the last couple of weeks. Um, I think you're starting to see, the results of the lack of development and um, retention on the roster and lack of depth in certain spots as the season's gone along. So to answer your question, I think there's some things that have popped up the last couple of weeks that give me pause. I think there's also a bit of a curve that you probably have to grade him on um, based on what he inherited and who he inherited. And I think for people watching what's going on on the field, I think it's a matter of, of kind of how sharply that curve is that you want to use. So from Trev's point of view, I think you basically need to decide, like, are you seeing enough kind of behind the scenes and everything that leads you to believe that a Mickey Joseph staff, whoever that would be, would be significantly improved from what Nebraska's got right now? Um, because that to me, like if, let's say this week we hear that Mickey Joseph's the guy and the, the, my immediate reaction is going to be like, okay, let's, what, what's the staff going to look like? Because that, that to me is the big question mark is, is what kind of web can he put out and, and find with assistance and, and what's that going to look like? Um, because I, I do think that, that that's the biggest question in my mind, in addition to, just kind of things that have popped up the last couple of weeks and kind of the way things are being run. Cause I think it's, you know, the, the honeymoon period and the wins over Indiana and, uh, uh, and Rutgers have, uh, have definitely worn off at this point. You got thoughts, Beachy? Oh, Brent said it pretty well. Um, I, I mean, I think, you know, whenever you're analyzing a guy as much as, uh, everybody likes Mickey. You'd have to be fair about it and say, yeah, they should have played Smothers quicker. I think, you know, like, I mean, and say, well, that's a, that was a minus there on a decision maybe. And he kind of acknowledged it in the post game. On the other hand, I would, if you step away from the Minnesota game and PJ Fleck is the type of guy who is going to blow sunshine on the other guy, he's that type of guy. And that's not even a bad quality, but he's going to praise the other coach. But Fleck, I think after that game, genuinely probably had to give Joseph staff some credit for that first half in the fact that Minnesota was a pretty significant favorite, a two touchdown or more favorite. And uh, I think if Fleck and his staff's looking at the film on Nebraska going into that game, they're probably pretty confident they're going to get a lot done and run the ball on them and stuff like that. And Nebraska had a solid plan for the material they had on the field to put themselves in position to win the game. So I bet honest to goodness, Fleck would say Mickey and his staff did a pretty good job, you know, like with a, with what they had 
uh, manufacturing that game to be in position to have a shot to win it. Um, whereas like a year or so ago, like when Nebraska lost its opener at Illinois, for instance, I think there's a lot of coaches around the Big Ten and country are looking at Scott Frost and saying that's a guy who's doing little with more. Like he's he's not getting – like he just got out coached by Belima and that stuff. Um, you know, that said, Frost was in a lot of close games last year and didn't win, and I don't want – we got to get away from around here acting like, well, the guys really played hard and they were in yep. position to win the game Saturday. Seize the opportunity. This is Nebraska. You were up 10-0. You had that game in your grips. Um, Your defense is playing downhill, and uh, you let it get away. So, I mean, I go both ways on it. But uh, I think Trev Alberts, um, you guys, I don't know if you would probably feel the same way maybe. Uh, I I just don't think he's a guy who's a knee-jerk guy. I think it's all about, like, What's your broad plan? Who are the who's the network of guys you have to bring in? What's your recruiting strategy? How are you going to change this roster so that you know the talent is just different in a year or two? What's your answers there? And that those are the key questions I think that have to be answered that we obviously aren't privy to. Let's dive over to basketball here and finish things out there. Nebraska played their first game. They are one and zero for the first time. Since 2020, is that right? No, they didn't. Did they start 1-0 in 2020? Uh, Brunts. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I don't know. They lost They lost last year to Western Illinois. Right, and they year. lost the first year to, to – uh, Riverside. Yeah. yeah. So they might have started – one of those years they started 1-0. But, yeah. So that's good. So 1-0 <laughs> – Against Maine, I in in my new section in in PBA while holding a beer, I uh, I don't know. I I don't think they're going to be good. I don't know what they're exactly going to be, but they they seem to look different from a physical standpoint than a lot of the teams I think we've watched under Hoiberg. And what I kind of mean by that is you have a guard and and um, you know or a point forward and Sam and Sam Greasel that he was able to kind of get into the paint. Like he got a matchup that he liked. He was able to, to back somebody down and go get an easy basket that way. Like they have more physical guards. They, they also did things that, you know, I sent a text in our, in our group chat about how Joan Gary and, and Bandamel do things that I hadn't seen in a while. And Brunt's had a joke that I'll leave out, but uh, you know, they rebound, they box out. They, they have like a higher basketball IQ on this team that I think I've seen with Nebraska for the last couple of years, I don't know that it's going to translate into a bunch of wins, but I, I sort of appreciate that they do some small like aspects of the game much better than we've seen. There's still issues. They still don't make free throws. Um, they're still going to have long scoring drought stretches. I don't know how good the defense is going to be, but I came away at least pleasantly, surprised by a few aspects of this team and it was the first time I had put it that I had put eyes on them you know this year I'd skip the exhibition and skip their opening night so I don't know maybe I'm just I'm drinking too much Kool-Aid with like a double digit win over Maine 2020 they beat uh, McNeese State out okay. of the gates Amir Abdullah had a big play in that one <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right yeah that's how I remember it saved it for him <laughs> oh I mean I thought <clears throat> 
you know, the big three transfers sort of all excelled at what they were supposed to excel at in the first game. You know, Emmanuel Bandamel is supposed to be that guy who sort of uh, does the dirty stuff a little bit, you know, kind of makes that that play. Uh, like, <clears throat> you know, it got to be a 54-53 game, and he raced back, and he, he blocked a shot against the backboard, and then he scored on the next possession, and it kind of let Nebraska breathe again. Um, and I thought Sam, Sam Grissell – had 22 points, 18 of them in the second half, eight of 12 shooting. And uh, it was, I think he's one of those guys who you kind of, you look up and you're like, oh man, he's got 18 points right now. You know, that sort of thing. Like um, he just did it, let the game come to him. And um, Jawan Gary, you know, will he be able to do this against big 10 teams? I don't know where you just, you miss your shot, you go get it. But uh, I like his tenacity getting eight offensive rebounds and, there was a stretch where his attacking the glass <clears throat> and getting putbacks sort of kept Nebraska at arm's reach from Maine. And um, I don't know how much of it you want to put on Nebraska's defense. Maine had a couple guys who just lit it up. I mean, they got hot, like, and, and they had probably a few looks that were too open, but they had two or three shots where I'd say the, I can't even pronounce his name, but number 22, who was six of seven on three pointers, um, he hit some hard shots there in a stretch where he was kind of on fire and you kind of just tip your cap. So they were able though to score after each of those possessions and sort of answer with a two on the other end. And, and that's what I liked is that they didn't go on like that six minute drought and let a bad situation turn into a disaster. They, they sort of weathered the storm and, and they looked, it didn't look like a fire drill out there. You know, it looked, it looked calm and competent. They got UNO, UNO on Thursday, right? Like that's uh, that's yeah. their next game. That uh, the Mavs, the Mavs played well against Kansas in they the did. opener, so that'll be. I think that'll be a kind of an interesting game on Thursday. I expect kind of a, a good crowd as well. The thing I like about this team, and you guys kind of touched on it, but it with with Griezel and, and Bandamel, that there just seems to be guys and in places where there's not going to be kind of the panic in the immediate, like we're going to immediately shift to hero ball or get away from what we are just based on bad things happening on the floor. Um, we'll see if that happens, but that that's my sense is that Fred Hoiberg probably has a better idea of what's happening on the floor or will happen on the floor than he did last year, where it was just like the second, you know, they fell behind or shots weren't falling. It was like, we're going to do whatever we're going to do. Guys are going to be hoisting up bad shots. Guys are going to be going to the rim with their heads down and, and, you know, throwing up bad shots and not playing defense. So will that result in wins? I don't know, but it will at least keep games from getting really out of hand like they have in the past. So I don't know. I mean, like a is that a higher floor? Like what? I, I don't know what, what the best <clears throat> comparison is there, but yeah, it's hard to know how it's going to transfer right now. It really is, but you can only go off of what's in front of you. And um, I, I saw last night a game where last year's team could have got themselves in a real problem. And this team ended up, you know, winning by 13 and someone say, well, that's not that impressive. They're 20 and a half point favorites. You know, if a guy doesn't go six for seven on you from three, you probably win by 20 or so. So, I mean, it was, um, 
it, it wasn't like it was uncomfortable where I just thought Nebraska was in danger of losing the game. So they, they responded well. Casey Tamanaga, you know, after the game, I thought I had the quote of the press conference. And, um, I mean, you got to set it up that Casey is, you know, it, it's not his first language. So in those press conference settings, it's a, it's a little difficult. But yet he said a lot in a little when he said, yeah, last year's team was very individual. You know, he just said it was an individual team and this team plays together and that's the difference. And that was basically what he said. And uh, I just thought that was really interesting that a guy who's not going to use many words up there, honestly, um, he chose to use those words to describe the difference. And it, it was it was pretty telling. Did he drop a we over me like it was the back <laughs> of a state basketball shirt? He could have. He could have. Uh... Yeah, it's we versus me uh, shirt t-shirt season. Uh, yeah, as as it, as it. as hoops gets going. All right, any uh, anything we need to get to here before we close this out? Yeah, I had a question. Doubling back to how we started, um, you tweeted a picture of yourself holding a beer. Um, at the, sure did. What was that? A what size of a beer was that? I know I know generally what your hand size is because we've measured them every year around NFL Combine time. But that, <laughs> look, that, look, look at that. That cup Dude. seemed a li- that cup seemed a little small. Yeah, that- uh, it's allegedly a sixteen ounce cup. They have sixteen and twenty four ounce. I will say this: if you're going to a game and you're going to get yourself a beverage or a hot dog or whatever. Plan to stand in line for longer than you want because I went after the stoppage for the under eight and we made it back right before the start of the second half. So uh, Pinnacle Bank Arena, get your crap together. There's going to be a lot more people than there was on opening night um, and they want to be served in a more timely fashion. That being said, it was a 16 ounce beer. Um They didn't top it off very well. That is another complaint that I would have. But you know what? I got to drink a beer while watching Nebraska play basketball. It was an enjoyable experience. No one was the worst for it, and this could have been happening eight years ago. Let me. Those are my thoughts. Here's what I what you need to do next game. If you go Thursday, take like a measuring cup, and and I want you to get a beer, and I want you to. to, Should I get like a ruler so we can know and we can look at the. That seemed like it was like a twelve ounce cup. That was like a like a tall at Starbucks. Like you the, you weren't you weren't getting a venti beer there. It was it was opening night for Nebraska basketball's team on the floor, and they had to get their chemistry down and everything. It was also opening night for the concession workers, and they probably had to learn you know where stuff was and how the electronic you know system works and which is the sixteen ounce cup and which is the you know, the, the 24, I don't know why they'd have a 12 ounce cup. You can't buy a 12 ounce. Maybe that, maybe they're nickel and diamond us. Maybe this is an investigative report that we can look into. It, it feels like there might be a little three card Monty going on with the beer cup sizes. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that, I think that deserves some, uh, some closer inspection. That or cup would have, my... that oh, cup would have felt plenty big to Jared Goff. So <laughs> <laughs> that was the joke that was used. Yes. Jared Goff and his doll hands. Is that right, Brunt? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, you. I, I think what we did learn last night is you could probably play quarterback in cold weather in a cold weather <laughs> franchise. So there's no there, you got that it. going for you. No doubt about it. All right. Um, I don't have anything else to add unless we want to continue to talk about beer in the arena and hand size. Otherwise, we'll save that for March where it, it's fitting in both both descriptions. So 
Um, everyone, be sure to check out Husker 24-7. Like I said earlier, we'll have both Brunts and BC on hand in Ann Arbor. They're probably going to go to that deli that Brunts loves. Yeah. Um, that's, that's great. <laughs> the, the one thing they have planned, they're going to the <laughs> deli. Are you going to go to the Pistons game? Uh, no, 3 p.m. kick there. So ah. no, uh, no house that land beer built for us. You neither of you can name a current piston, right? I can't name a piston. Darko, we, Darko, isn't he a piston? He's not there anymore. <laughs> Jerry, Stack, the right Jerry Stackhouse, Ben Wallace. How's that? Nope, nope. We actually, those are, we actually those are, did they this. Were uh, <laughs> we looked this up on the way to Purdue, and I still can't remember who was on the list. Like we, yeah. we had the Pistons roster out, and we were going through it. Like they no just signed, Jim. they signed somebody to a big deal. You sent me the link, and I didn't yeah. know who it was. It wasn't Joe Dumars. I know that. Yeah. Great. <laughs> the first and only Joe Dumars reference on this podcast history. All right. Be sure to check out Husker247.com. Plenty of coverage from the game coming up. Plenty of coverage of the coaching search. Uh, keeping an eye on everything. Who knows? There could be an announcement at any time. Or it could be at the end of the season. Or it could be when you least expect it. Or maybe they just never announce a coach and then the interim tag just goes away and Mickey's the head coach. I don't know how it's going to happen. If I didn't. And, and Trev doesn't even address it. That'd be kind of funny. <laughs> Just kind of like let it keep going. We're all just kind of like sitting there at the opening <laughs> yeah. spring press conference. And yeah. Mickey walks in. He's like, I guess I'm still here. Yeah. So who knows how it's going to go. But however it happens, we'll have the coverage for you at Husker247.com. Be sure to check that out. The Husker247 Hypecast. Even though I had a mini meltdown during this podcast, I will get you hyped for this Nebraska-Michigan game. Josh Peterson from 1620 The Zone will be joining us. That'll be on Thursday as well so be sure to check that out check out all the coverage keep it locked on to husker247.com